Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblak. and I'm joined by Dr. Joe Boot and Brian Aris, and we're happy to be back with you after a brief hiatus for our Christmas break. And we're pleased to have our, our good friend, uh, Dr. Michael Thiessen, with us today. Uh, we felt we needed some comic relief around here, so we brought <laughs> we brought him in. We also needed the gate fixed. Uh, oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, there was, that some, there was some cleaning needed yeah. doing downstairs as well. You yeah. all were going to make the Cromwell joke, but I threw him from the second floor just moments ago. <laughs> yeah, go clean that up. That's right. <laughs> oh, but really, we uh, we we love and appreciate Michael. We're glad to have him here today, and uh, Dr. Mike Thiessen is the founder and president of the Liberty Coalition Canada. And he's also our fellow for church and family discipleship. So we're glad to have you here today, Mike. Great to be here with all of you having fun and yet speaking about very profound things. Right. And uh, on that, uh, really, we have a lot of different issues to discuss today. But the overarching theme, I suppose, would be the ongoing totalitarianism and totalitarian control being imposed on the citizens of this country. And, uh, you know, originally we, we wanted to speak about Bill C-4, and we certainly will, and how that's now passed into law as of January 7th. But we're also dealing with, you know, since before the break, uh, lockdowns in Ontario, uh, vaccine mandates imposed on the church in Quebec, and I've heard other provinces as well. And the and church now, closed. And, and now the church totally closed in Quebec. That's right. And uh, right before we started recording... Check the news, and uh, Quebec is now imposing significant financial penalty against people who refuse to get vaccinated. I'm actually reading the title uh, from CTV, the article from CTV News. So this this ongoing totalitarianism continues. It's increasing. Uh, in many cases, met with very little resistance, sadly, especially in Quebec. Um, and that's really with a variety of different issues. We're, we're not seeing that go away. And, and really, the implications of the church not standing up in Quebec, mm-hmm. uh, mm. we're seeing those implications now, aren't we? Um, but thinking back to January 7th and Bill C-4, uh, where, uh, and just to remind our listeners, we've talked about this bill at length, but is, this is the bill that has now banned so-called conversion therapy. We'll discuss that later. But once that passed into law, we we had to, actually, before it had even passed into law, we had talked about here at the Ezra Institute that it would be a good idea if pastors would preach on biblical sexuality the week after the bill passed into law. And that's why we've asked uh, Mike to come on the program with us today uh, to talk about that initiative. Yeah, so Happy New Year to all of our listeners for a start off, because uh, this is, our, I think, our first regular podcast. First time, first time uh, back right? to regular podcasting. Yeah, That's right. so we had a bit of a hiatus uh, over the uh, over the Christmas period, and um, we hope you uh, we hope you enjoyed those uh, those. Uh, well, it was a different take. It was a, a change of pace over the Christmas, so we could get a bit of rest. Um, but let's just, as Nathan was saying, I think uh, it might be worth reminding people exactly mm-hmm. where we are, because we know that many of our listeners are in the States and some are in Europe. 
And so Bill C-4, just to clarify again, was uh, a revision. Well, actually, it it was a minor revision of Bill C-6. What was originally Bill C-6, well, died with the election, so uh, with the calling of the election. And so uh, following the uh, election, one of the promises that, uh, among other nefarious promises uh, that was made was that this would be tabled again, you know, straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a priority of the new government. And as most people know, Trudeau was um, was reelected. And um, let's say he made this a religious priority. I mean, that that is fundamentally mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. It was, mm-hmm. It's a theological and religious priority for uh, for the government to uh, to, to see this. Um, remember, as we often say in at the institute that there is a there is a religious foundation to all law mm-hmm. there's no neutral law law presupposes a source of authority and of sovereignty and a divinity concept and so uh, behind this uh, is a religious a religiously motivated ide- ideology and bill c6 actually got worse mm-hmm. um when it became bill c4 mm-hmm. uh, because with bill c6 uh, the bill uh, in that uh, that draft didn't apply to consenting adults right. who are over eighteen. You couldn't advertise, uh, you know, treatment therapy, any kind of service to them. Mm-hmm. But if they sought you out, an adult could have, in a consenting way, agreed to um, discuss in detail mm-hmm. uh, gender dysphoria or homosexual desire that they were wanting to move away from. This bill. Uh, remove that so it's illegal for even consenting adults to engage in these um in this form of uh, service treatment therapy you can drive an absolute freight train mm-hmm. through the definition and critically what we've pointed out about the religious foundation is that the the preamble to the bill specifically says uh that among other things um an attempt to change somebody's uh, sexual desires to a predetermined uh, idea of what's right or good or true, i.e. normative biblical Christian understanding of human sexuality, is, quote, based on and propagates myths mm. and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, gender identity and gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality Cisgender, gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. So basically, Christianity with Bill C4, for the sake of our listeners, has been reduced to myth myth. by the lawmakers. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's mythological. It's harmful, supposedly. Mm -hmm. And... uh, it is um, it's it's detrimental to our 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 society, and thereby the full practice of Christianity in Canada has been made criminal. Um, it's not, of course, until this thing uh, is tested in a variety of circumstances, we won't know whether uh, preaching uh, right now any kind of pastoral care and counsel would clearly fall under the censure of this bill. Mm-hmm whether preaching about um, uh, biblical views of sexuality and identity would be um, construed as promoting or advertising a service, which carries up to two years in prison, uh, to cause somebody to undergo. So if somebody was preaching and said, you know, you need to go and get prayer and counsel about this, that could be construed as as causing 
uh, somebody to undergo this kind of therapy. So as you can imagine, uh, this has been of, of profound concern to uh, us as you know Christians, as Christian leaders, as a Christian think tank that's here to promote the gospel mm-hmm. and uh, Christian witness, and uh, to see our our state take this uh, overtly pagan, uh, anti-Christian position and enshrine it into the criminal code, the most heavy-handed tool available to the state, in clear violation of 1 Corinthians 6, mm-hmm. 18 through 20, mm-hmm. and what we're actually taught by the Apostle Paul. Um, it's an attack on religious freedom. It's an attack on freedom of expression. It's an attack on people's bodily integrity. It's an attack on people's rights who may be struggling with unwanted desires or gender dysphoric condition. They can no longer seek out that help. They can't uh, receive that help. Um, and, you know, Karl Marx is... Uh, uh, would be pretty happy right now. This is far beyond what he could have imagined when he and Engels said, you know, mm-hmm. the key to the holy family is the earthly family. Mm-hmm. And dismantling. And absolutely yeah. that we have to uh, destroy the latter in theory and in practice mm-hmm. if we're going to get rid of basically God. And uh, Judith Butler, who's still alive, of course, this is um, an, a, a, a novel social constructionist vision of pagan vision of reality propagated by a very small cadre of Western intellectuals uh, whose thought has now permeated not only the, the, the classrooms of our children right down into kindergarten, it's now enforced in criminal law. So we've gone from acts of sodomy being a criminal offense at the end of the 1960s mm-hmm. to you're a criminal and you're going to prison for up to five years as a parent, as a pastor, as a counselor, if you try and help somebody uh, live the Christian life in terms of their gender and sexuality. So that was a profound concern to us for a long time and to our fellows. And uh, so, yes, we um, got together and, and, and had some discussions and we proposed the notion of a biblical sexuality Sunday uh, to preach uh, the, on the anniversary of this every year. Um, the Sunday following, the Bible on the the, the Christian witness on what biblical uh, sexuality means. And our fellow Mike Thiessen, who heads the Liberty Coalition Canada, has uh, once again done a sterling job in rallying the troops and and um, and putting together a, a campaign and going public with that. I, I, I was on a couple of shows myself, Ali Stuckey and uh, James White, and you've been all over the map, goodness knows where, with different people. So, Michael, why don't you, uh, A, talk to us a bit about um, Bill C4 and, uh, you know, riff a little bit off what I've said there in terms of how you perceive this and how pastors are reacting and what's going on. And tell us a bit about how now this idea of a uh, of this coming Sunday uh, preaching in North America in churches right across the, the not just Canada but but North America itself about um, biblical marriage, family, sexuality. Tell us about what's going on. So first of all, uh, for those of us who have been saying to other Christians that we have to be wary of the slippery slope. Mm. Um, can we officially just say we're at the bottom of the hill or like, have we slid down the mountain far enough or are we still going to have Christians uh, saying to us, we, we've got to be very careful about that. This hasn't been adjudicated in the courts yet. Mike. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> I'll so, be 50 years away from persecution. Um, I don't know. 
I, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to join the two stories together. So Nathan started off talking about Quebec mm -hmm. and, uh, Joe, you've just done a, a good summary of the bill. I want to, want to talk about the, the religious language that is being used. That is the, the stick to beat us with. So in the article about Quebec, the premier said the unvaccinated, uh, will have to pay because there are consequences for our health network. And he goes on to say it is a question of equity. That's a very religious word mm -hmm. for us in our culture. Mm -hmm. It is a question of equity because right now these people, these, these people, people, they put a very uh, important burden on our healthcare network. So I, I want to riff off of that word. Uh, I, I like that. I like that uh, transition there, Joe, um, because we see what words transition? like, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What, what's, what happens at the Ezra Institute? Who let him in here? <laughs> so what you have is you have the government using language like equity. So let's just go around the table. What are some other things that human beings do to put a burden on the healthcare system? other than apparently being unvaccinated right now. Any other ideas? Well, important to say that the word equity is another word for justice or righteousness, right? Right. They're just, that's what they mean by it. So they're trying to claim that it's justice dictate, dictates. Yeah, it is a matter mm -hmm. of... Fairness and uh, justice. Of, of creating fair outcomes, yep. not having uh, fair standing before the law. But but what are some other things? Like I think immediately like I can still go smoke in this country. Mm -hmm. Take drugs. You can take drugs. What else? Eat a ton of food over the Christmas break. Be yeah, obese. You can literally be <laughs> obese and gluttonous. Mm -hmm. Visit a prostitute. Uh, okay. Sexually transmitted diseases. Absolutely, mm -hmm. right? So, we know that it has absolutely nothing to do with actual equality before the law. Mm -hmm. It is just a word that is used because it's completely arbitrary. The same thing goes for this bill where when they use the word harm without any qualification of what harm means, it is simply a nice sounding word that ends up being a stick to beat people into, to, to convert people into their understanding. And that's really what we're so concerned about with this bill. The, the definition is wide open as you've suggested, Joe, and also it is just rooted in all of this language that has no measurement. Like mm. there, there's no measuring stick. How harmful, what is harm? Um, I think telling a young woman to mutilate herself and to try to take drugs in order to pretend to be a guy is harmful. And they want to turn that upside down and, and, and call that myth. And the other part thing, of, part of this totalitarian push is they now are think they're able to define terms. They're they're able to define the concept of harm. Well, they think they can do it without even qualifying it because right. that's the bigger that's the, that's the that's the biggest issue. So we we talk from the Christian perspective on this, but just trying to be a doctor in Canada right now to go wait a minute. Uh, he's got a a thing, and she's got another thing. And I can't treat that individual based upon their body. Mm -hmm. this, this, this is not just going to affect um, Christians and pastors in the pulpit. This is going to affect every, um, every professional studio, every professional uh, association, all of these things. And then just one other thing 
I wanted to mention that is so dangerous about this, of course, is that it's all one-sided. So you're not allowed to change a person's sexual orientation to, to heterosexuality or change a person's gender identity to their cisgender, which is their sex or to change a person's gender expression, which means to tell someone to stop cross-dressing um, or in any way repress or mm-hmm. reduce That's right. Those desires. these things. And it's all one-sided. Like the, the, the bill doesn't say anything about, you know, um, going in the other direction. In fact, it's all one-sided towards. So and that's a critical point that it, that, that, uh, if you, if you want to, if you desire or want to either transition in the other direction or practice anything in the other direction, you can be encouraged, counseled, right. given mm-hmm. materials, uh, to do those things, promote those things, de- develop that lifestyle, try and develop that sort of fictive identity. That's all strongly encouraged. And in fact, mm-hmm. if you stand in the way of that, uh, for minors, uh, you might even um, uh, lose your children. Um, they might be taken away from you in Ontario if you don't support and encourage that. So that that's the that demonstrates the fundamental religious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. orientation of this. You know, we exist as a ministry to advance the the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what's what we're here for. The gospel of the kingdom. Uh, what this law is doing, as you've described it, is saying, well. The federal government and its laws now exist to to enforce and advance paganism, mm-hmm. and it's not uh, it's not just that the other side, the or like in the transition in the other direction, council in the other direction is sort of uh, tacitly permitted or like by omission. This this bill this law now like specifically mentions counseling in what I think is right. what I think the wording they use is an exploratory direction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is strongly not encouraged in, is not mm. does not fall under Correct. this uh, this law. Yeah, yeah. They call it an integrated personal identity, mm-hmm. which I think that means separating your clear uh, anatomy from what you think your gender is, mm. and that really sounds integrated. No, it doesn't actually. Th- that's the th- at the bottom of the bill. It makes it doubly worse. It, it actually says exactly what you said, mm-hmm. Ryan. Just for clarification, everybody, mm-hmm. you can give somebody a counsel, uh, counsel to become a homosexual mm-hmm. or to change their uh, sex, even though that's physically impossible. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to clarify that. Mm-hmm. that that's, the, that's how terrible this bill is. So, yeah, it, it, includes, it, it's all connected. Uh, includes written material and recording and certain recordings as well. well right? yeah, so everything you, is covered by this. You, you, talk you, about you wouldn't be able them. to hand somebody a book. Uh, or say, here's a series of tapes, or here's a series of teaching CDs about human mm-hmm. identity and sexuality that will help you. That falls under this bill, according to the uh, according to Bill C four now. And right. you so take at, the words. At, I mean, at, I just wanted to make the point. We all know this, but at root, this is an assault against God's norm norms against creation mm-hmm. itself. That's right. And the point I was going to make was that it includes any practice, treatment, or service. So everybody knows that when this bill was written, you think practice, oh, medical practice. No, it, the word practice wasn't qualified with the word medical or, mm. or any, so any practice, handing a book, a parent giving advice, a pastor preaching from the pulpit, mm-hmm. um, service, uh, like a worship service, you mean, or mm-hmm. a paid service. Right. Okay. If it's a paid service, every uh, pastor and Christian doctor and Christian nurse and counselor, 
that's all service. This covers everyone. And that is why uh, we've all decided to work together to stand up in defiance of this ridiculous bill on January 16th. And we're encouraging churches to join with us on Biblical Sexuality Sermon Sunday and, and get out there and preach the whole counsel of God strongly, uh, unapologetically from the pulpits so that your people are resourced. Because again, I am far more, I'm so tired of the conversation that we pastors get trapped in when we talk about how we are going to be protected. Mm. Forget about us. It's the teachers in the public school system, even mm. though we think that that's going to crumble on its head, but it's, it's our sheep out in the mm. field mm. that we need to teach how to think through these things. Mm -hmm. And we need to be the first ones to go through the wall if we have to. And that's why uh, in um, the Niagara Declaration 2020, uh, um, as we were anticipating uh, this, this bill coming, part of what was covered off, there was a reminder in the articles to the churches, not only of the lordship of Christ over his church, that he is the head of his church. Christ is the head of his church, not the state. Uh, that the uh, pastoral care, our, 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 our counseling, um, the family, liberty of conscience. I mean, if we look at some of the articles here that I've got in front of me, liberties related to the Holy Bible, Article 2. Um, liberty, liberty in all uh, spiritual matters. We recognize no authority, Article 1, other than Jesus Christ and his word in the rule, ministry, and teaching of the church. Spiritual matters include, in particular, the worship of God, the confession, sacraments, ordinances, discipline, and rights of the church, and the teaching and pastoral guidance of the same. That's Article 1. Liberties related to the Bible in Article 2, uh, about the printing and distribution and preaching of the word of God, preaching of the gospel, liberty of doctrine, and, of course, <clears throat> liberty of conscience. Uh, so that we may not be compelled or coerced to adhere to or to renounce any religious, moral, or philosophical belief, and uh, these are the these are the these are the fundamental Christian beliefs that gave shape to the history of law in this country, which is still part of the the central to the Western legal tradition. That this bill, this this law, this egregious law, uh, uh, flies in the face of. So we'd want to remind people: go take a look at the Niagara Declaration, twenty twenty, especially the churches. Uh, that signed it, uh, and that was uh, over, what, 300 or so? Um, and uh, um, the uh, not just the churches that signed it, those who haven't, those, those who may not be pastors or leaders, but be reminded of those articles that reaffirm what the church has believed throughout the centuries so that we, as pastors and Christian leaders, boldly proclaim the Word of God every week, but especially as we go into... This coming Sunday, yeah, that's right. Um, and uh, tell us a bit more about uh, that campaign that Liberty Coalition has been has been heading, Michael, and um, some of the people that have joined and uh, sort of come alongside it. Because I know in Canada at the moment we we don't have a we we um, we stop short of supplying a list um, of churches because we simply wanted it to be a an organic thing across the nation, but um, others have done lists as well. So why don't you tell us a bit more about uh, uh, the, the, what we're really asking of people and uh, what's happened thus far with it. Well, I will say that the American churches have been in good form mm -hmm. as they have joined us. So um, through efforts of reaching out to our American contacts, um, we've actually had Pastor uh, John MacArthur 
come up quite boldly and say, I'm going to join the Canadian churches. Actually, he wrote a paragraph in their press release that I really uh, appreciate. He said, I am eager to support our Canadian brothers and to preach on biblical sexual morality on January 16th. And I invite you as a faithful pastor to do the same. Our United Stand will put the Canadian and U.S. governments on notice that they have attacked the word of God. I so appreciate that paragraph. Mm-hmm. And since uh, the Grace Community Church has you know, put out a, an online statement, they've also uh, is- produced a video. Um, they've had over 3,000 U.S. churches, and that was at the beginning of the week uh, to join us. And so 3,000 American churches are going to be joining us. I got a call from a buddy in Florida saying, what is going on in Canada that John MacArthur is getting involved in? I saw you in the news. Uh, so that that has been our strategy. Uh, we, we have been this entire time, Liberty Coalition Canada, through all of our networks, have been trying to help Americans see what's going on so that both our American influence and the American press can get involved. And so we're seeing success with this. Um, I've been interviewed with, by the Washington times. I've been interviewed um, just recently by rebel news here in Canada. Um, we've been on, you, you've been on numerous podcasts. I've been on the, uh, the, the sword and the trowel and we've been on, I just finished a, an interview with John MacArthur. You can listen to that at the Liberty coalition, Canada rumble channel. So please go and do that. It's been exciting, and the reason why we chose not to take a list here in Canada is because we wrote the Niagara Declaration, and we have the the, the churches that have signed that, and we are really hoping that all of the churches who, who signed that would just be immediately responsive to this initiative, and yet we didn't want to confuse those lists, so... You know, th- things seem to be going well. I, I will tell you, you know, all, all of our listen. this is really, all of our listeners, this is really serious stuff. You know, um, I, I had a, a pastor's wife reach out to us and just say, you know, for all of the things that you, you men have been standing for, this is, this is, Bill C4 is, a, I am more concerned that my husband will be going to jail over this. Mm-hmm than I am over, over all of the previous stuff. And that was a, that was a moment to take pause when we think of how dire the situation here is in Canada. And we, and and we desperately need the the goal of that's the goal of this bill exactly uh, is to uh, terrorize. I mean, that, that fundamentally is what uh, this, this reversal of historic liberty and freedom with such a draconian bill, and I think you know it, it, the 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 terrorizing is made worse by the fact that, uh, and again, this is something we've mentioned before, I think, on a previous show, but some may not be fully aware of that there wasn't a single member of the House of Parliament who stood up and voted and stood against this bill. Not right. a conservative, not a liberal, not an NDP, not a single member of the House opposed this. In fact, it was the conservatives that short sought to score woke points by fast-tracking uh, this bill through. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, we're not going to forget that. We're not going to forget right. that at the, the ballot box. And uh, conservative MPs who profess 
the Christian faith need to take note of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a uh, that it, you have this feeling that you're almost living when some when this happened, it really felt like you were living in a one party state, and uh, that's and so part of the goal of this bill is to so intimidate and frighten people that they won't actually freely practice their faith. Uh, they won't uh, act as Christian parents. Pastors will fall short of their obligations before God uh, in the life of the church. Um, and they'll be too afraid to uh, to speak, to teach, to counsel as God requires of them. And so you're right, it's a sobering moment. So Joe, you've, uh, you've preempted some of this uh, in what you just said. But we actually we got a uh, got an email just the other day from a uh, a young pastor who was just seeking some wisdom specifically on this question. We didn't advertise that we were going to take questions this podcast, so it's a kind of a bonus, but it fits in really well. Um, I'm just going to read out uh, what he's written to us. He says, "I'm just I'm seeking some wisdom dealing with the sacrifice of preaching against the state." Me and my wife have discussed this as I'll be preaching on January 16th on biblical sexuality. So he's got three, three questions, three sub-questions there. When is it acceptable for a father with young children to weigh the consequences of his duties in the family sphere? The most difficult question is, what if children being taken away is a consequence? Mm-hmm. And finally, is there either a duty or an allowance for a father to back off on ecclesiastical responsibility in light of family responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it'd be good to have Michael's thoughts on this too. I, uh, uh, first of all, I would say just in terms of the way the question is framed uh, about preaching against the state. Actually, our task isn't to preach against the state. Um, remember, as we've taught on this program before, in terms of a biblical world and life view, the state is ordained of God, and the state is uh, is actually um, a, uh, a territory, and the parts of the state are the given parts of a territory in Canada, municipalities, provinces, and so on, uh, uh, local regions. So uh, the the state is a necessary uh, institution that's ordained by God. The issue is not is the direction is a structure and direction issue again so it's not about the state itself it's about the direction that's that the government of a given state the elected government of a given state in our case uh takes so that that's the first thing the second thing is that when we talk about speaking to these issues so we're not preaching against the state we're preaching the lordship of christ so in declaring the lordship of jesus christ and authority of his word we are prophetically holding governments and authorities who operate in this normative sphere of, of, the, of the state to be mindful of the word of God and the law of God and the consequences of, of, of um, acting and legislating in contradiction to the word of God and the law of God and the dangers of that for any nation and any society and where that will lead. I think of some of those early founding debates in uh the early part of the 20th century right back in the 1905 somewhere there you can you can read some of the um other debates that went on in the senate over the lord's day bill um in the early decades of the existence of the canadian dominion uh and uh, the way in which liberal senators uh spoke of the fact that if we are to set at variance the law of god which 
they said we uphold in our legislation with regard to uh, the Sabbath, with regard to the Lord's Day, uh, we will go down as a nation for doing so. They actually warned that with regard to the violation of, of the first table of the law. Uh, and uh, here we're in the second table of the law, and we have to issue, the, as pastors and leaders, the same warning, the church must issue the warning, that liberal senators were prepared to issue directly to the Canadian Senate uh, then, uh, that uh, we that, that their their words of prophecy actually have been fulfilled. We have gone down as a nation, and um, this this th th these actions that we're now engaged in, we need to in preaching that the gospel of the kingdom warn that God is not mocked, and that that Romans one and the judgment on cultures that rebel against the Lord and His word uh, suffer devastating consequences. God's judgment is active in history. So that's the sort of focus of our preaching and speaking. With respect to the second part of the question, which concerns the prudential issues of when we find a conflict between our family responsibilities and protecting our children, and perhaps if we're in, a, in, in ecclesiastical office as a presbyter, as a priest, as a pastor, as an elder, uh, that is something where we need the, the, the wisdom of God. Sometimes those two uh areas of our lives um have uh bring bring to bear conflicting concerns um uh, in the sense that uh being obedient in one area uh, uh makes it difficult to uh take our responsibility seriously in another and so yes any parent who's looking at this situation this law uh and any uh pastor who's uh, confronting it has to has to weigh up um, as they uh, seek to be faithful as parents, as as um, as fathers, uh, as pastors, how to um, protect their children, um, and at the same time fulfill their pastoral office faithfully. Um, and that that might look like a number of different things. I mean, think about what early missionaries did, Ryan. Um, well, not even just early missionaries, but missionaries in the 19th century who were called to go to difficult places where the laws were contrary to, to Christian faith, mm. they would often educate their children overseas in boarding schools. Um, they would be elsewhere. Uh, you know, I was preaching at a church Sunday, and I pointed out that even Moses um, didn't take his wife in the end and children into Egypt with him when he went to confront Pharaoh. Mm. Um, so there are times when uh, it, there may come a point where uh, Canadian pastors have to make some some very difficult decisions about the, their their own futures, the the future of their family, the future of their church. Um, there's, I think we've touched on this on the program on our podcast before, but there are a variety of legitimate biblical responses to persecution. Uh, some are to uh, uh, simply stand fast in the situation that you're in because that's what you're called to do, um, and face the consequences. Um, uh, another might be to, um, you know, Jesus said, if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. And there will be some, um, families that, uh, might decide, uh, I'm not risking my children being taken away. Others might say, well, I'm going to stay, but my, I'm sending my family to safety. Uh, so that's a prudential question that there is no concrete biblical answer that this is the right answer. And this is the wrong answer in every situation. That will very much depend on the circumstance, the degree of the threat, the degree of the intimidation, how far along the road the process is. Uh, all kinds of things would would um, kick into 
the decision that a, a pastor perhaps of a, of a large young family uh, might be in if somebody's brought to him who needs help with gen- their, uh, their, their sexual desires um, and how to, to um, uh, speak to them, counsel them biblically. So that will be something that's in front of pastors in the, in, in the months and years ahead for sure. Mm-hmm. Michael, did you want to comment on that as well as a, as a pastor of a, of a growing church? I wanted to bring up the fact that this is why Paul did caution um, or talk specifically that when marriage is in the play of a servant, that it brings complexity. So we, we do have responsibilities to our, to our wives. We do have responsibility to our children. And so that does make this situation more difficult than so if I can just clarify what you're saying there, you're saying that the, the, some of the teaching that Paul offered around um, actually encouraging people that at that point in a time of persecution where they knew Jerusalem was going to be destroyed, the temple was going to be destroyed, he actually encouraged them uh, practically to stay as they were, um, t- to maintain their current situation in life, not to seek to necessarily change it. And also, the way he points out that, you know, uh, the, the 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 married man he actually says is has other concerns yes. right? he has broader concerns that's right uh, that the that the unmarried man doesn't have right so is that so that is that the teaching you're yeah that's what I'm getting to? at so yeah. th- th- I'm trying to legitimize the question in the sense that yes this is this is really on the hearts of many people um, I'll give a few thoughts uh, first of all I have found uh, much of Martin Luther's works. Uh, helpful in these areas. So I've mentioned this before during COVID-19. Luther has an article called Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. And in that, Luther really emphasizes the differences of individuals' callings. And really, when it came to pastors, he used John 10:11 to say, a good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, but the hireling sees the wolf coming and flees. Mm-hmm. And there is a greater responsibility put on the clergy and put on the civil magistrates. Uh, in not to run away when there's a disease going around. Not to run away when there's a disease and other people are are in fear. Uh, he's what would a- qualify as running away? Do you think in uh, in 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 our situation there? Well, I think that is where, as in, you know, is closing your church running away? Right. Yeah. So thanks for giving me the loaded gun and asking me to pull the trigger. Uh, <laughs> Yes, absolutely. There is the difference between planning and then uh, for the the sake of your family who are in credible um, situations that that are difficult versus just running away before the fight has ever come to you. And uh, certainly we don't want to be the latter. In fact, in fact, we would have to be deciding. um, Certainly we don't be, be the former and it would be a matter of prayer for even the latter. Uh, because we see the calling to be a shepherd is a higher calling and it is a, uh, we, we have responsibility. So mm-hmm. I would say that within this area, um, you can't out just dismiss the needs of your flock uh, for your um, perceived threat to your family out of hand. You've got to really take in to consideration the needs of your flock in these times. He's also got an article on um, being a soldier. And again, it, it has to do with calling. So in short, I, I would say that um, 
this is weighing heavily on all of us. You need to take into consideration the needs that your flock has and not just um, run away quickly. And in the, you know, for me personally, I've kind of said, I'm willing to, I'm willing to stand up. I'm willing to be charged. I'm willing to go to trial. And those are the things that um, my church family is praying for our family about and trying to um, support us. If any of that would happen, God forbid. I think one of the interesting places we can um, uh, take this as we sort of conclude is to, is to, is to wrap. So we've seen in, in some respects, we've surveyed the bill. We've seen some sort of practical counsel for for, from a pastor to pastors there about what their obligations as shepherds might be. We've talked a bit about the obligations that, that fathers and families have also for their, for the, for their own children and um, uh, the variety of responses that can be legitimate and valid. It, it is staggering, don't you think, though, that we are here in 2022, and if you did rewound the clock, say, three years at this point, mm-hmm. And and we were sat here saying, you know what? Within within uh, within three years, the full practice of Christianity in Canada will be a criminal offence. Mm-hmm. Uh, families will be weighing up whether to stay or whether to flee. Pastors will be put in prison for their churches being open during a virus that ninety nine percent of people plus you know survive. Um, that the churches would be shut down. Uh, that vaccine passports in certain provinces would be imposed upon churches that, and that people's liberties would be being taken away, that the, the charter effectively would have been been, been placed into abeyance and, and, and suspended. Uh, here we are two years to flatten the curve, as it were. And in the midst of, of the, that suspension of liberties, you have bills like C4 actually passing into law. So it's interesting that it's actually been in the midst of this state-generated crisis that that the that the opportunity is being taken to pass these kinds of laws and there are other laws pending um you know uh, bill c36 i think and others uh, c10 um maybe ryan can check on that um and uh it all is creating an atmosphere that i would uh, that i would describe as as totalitarian and um uh, I've uh, been in and out of a of a an excellent book by uh, Hannah Arendt, uh, the origins of totalitarianism. She was a fantastic twentieth um, century political philosopher, although she didn't like being called a philosopher. Interestingly enough, um, but this is a this is a this is a classic work on the origins of totalitarianism, and and she says, and I I just want to quote a couple of things from it that we can perhaps. Um, Uh, conclude discuss a little bit to to conclude Uh, she says only the mob and the elite can be attracted by the momentum of totalitarianism itself so there's an elite and then the mob is a is a is a cadre that supports the elite the masses have to be won by propaganda she says under conditions of constitutional government and freedom of opinion so that would be like ours Totalitarian movements struggling for power can use terror to a limited extent only and share with other parties the necessity of winning adherence and of appearing plausible 
to a public which is not yet rigorously isolated from all other sources of information. So she's talking first there about um, the fact that terror starts to come in, but it's limit. It's a li- very limited form of terror. It might be the kind of you know the radical bullying you've seen in Australia by the authorities uh, during the COVID situation. Um, the bullying that we're seeing, the radical bullying that we're seeing in 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 Canada, that's designed to strike fear into people. Uh, she goes on. It was recognized early and has frequently been asserted that in totalitarian countries propaganda and terror present two sides of the same coin. And we've been in the grip of this propaganda related not just now to the COVID situation, but sexuality, gender identity, uh, the whole, uh, what we might call the queer ideology, the queer movement. It's been, it's been decades now. But the, but the heightening of that propaganda, I would have said, over the last decade, especially the last 10 years, has brought us to this point. And she goes on to say, more specific, in totalitarian propaganda, however, than direct threats and crimes against individuals is the use of indirect, veiled, and menacing hints against all who will not heed its teachings and later mass murder perpetrated on the guilty and innocent alike. People are threatened by communist propaganda with missing the train of history, with remaining hopelessly behind their time, with spending their lives uselessly. Now, <laughs> I find that absolutely fascinating, her analysis there, where it starts with not overt terror. People aren't being loaded onto trains and taken to the chambers or to the gulag. Initially, it's menacing, veiled, indirect threats and hints and laws and sleeper laws coming in that are, are produce an atmosphere of fear and terror. And she, she identifies that this type of thinking as uh, a, a form of technocracy. She says science in the instances of both Business publicity and totalitarian propaganda is obviously only a surrogate for power. The obsession of totalitarian movements with scientific proofs ceases once they are in power. The scientificality of totalitarian propaganda is characterized by its almost exclusive insistence on scientific prophecy as distinguished from more old-fashioned appeals to the past. And... uh, this shift to the that we've seen during the COVID crisis of a totalitarian drift to um, scientific prophecy uh, and everything being done in the name of science, your health, and you, you're 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 a misogynist, you're a racist, and you're anti-science if you if you don't want to be vaccinated, according to our prime minister apparently, and um, and then this bill which says that the new science, the new technocratic truth to reorder man's nature which is fundamentally what this is about, uh, is contained in uh, this new uh, ideology, um, relatively new ideology, and it's going to be imposed in terms of criminal law. So she says this, and I quote again, totalitarian propaganda raised ideological scientificality and its technique to making st- of making statements in the form of predictions to a height of efficiency of method and absurdity of content because... Demagogically speaking, there is hardly a better way to avoid discussion than by releasing an argument from the control of the present and by saying that only the future can reveal its merits. 
And this is what we've seen both with the COVID stuff and with the attempt to re-engineer society in terms of sexuality. Oh, the harms, the harms, the harms. Not in terms of evidence in the present, because in terms of all the benefits that are allegedly going to flow from this remaking of society in the future. And I quote again, scientifically, a scientificality of mass propaganda has indeed been so universally employed in modern politics that it has been interpreted as a more general sign of that obsession with science which has characterized the Western world since the rise of mathematics and physics in the 16th century. Thus, totalitarianism appears to be only the last stage of a process during which science has become, and listen to this, science has become an idol that will magically cure the evils of existence and transform the nature of man. And uh, that's not a Christian who's recognizing uh, those things uh, in identifying the origins of totalitarianism. And, and, and we've been saying as an institute, as a ministry for some time that's concerned with cultural apologetics and Christian philosophy and a biblical worldview, we've been trying to help people understand what totalitarianism is. It's treating the other spheres of life imparts the whole relationship with the state so that we stand naked before the state without any mediating institutions and their control is done in the name of science and in the name of the future and in the name of salvation. And it, it, there's no possible test for its validity in the present. The only possible test is in some abstracted future where this new utopia is going to emerge. And Hannah uh, Arendt, who an, was an expert as a Jew who lived through some of this and understood it in Europe. He's a Holocaust survivor. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, understood more than most the reality of how totalitarianism begins. And what I'm deeply concerned with, Michael, I have to say, is these hints at, these suggestions, these veiled threats, these diseased people over there, they need to be fined. They need to be censured. They need to be stopped. Uh, they need to be... Uh, um, uh, coerced, and then in this whole era of sexual identity and uh, and people at the most fundamental level of our basic humanity, uh, of our of the, of our created um, uh, biological sex, of creational norms with regard to marriage and family, the, the assault on the most basic foundational structure of human society mm. is now coming with these threats of imprisonment and persecution and being hauled before courts mm. and. Hannah Arendt doesn't say this is the beginnings of the smell of totalitarianism. She says we are reaching politically now uh, almost a full emergence of a totalitarianism in the name of science that wants to remake the very nature of human beings and mm -hmm. do it with a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. we're, Great. We, we're, oh, at a, we're at a tipping point. Mm -hmm. And the thing that is uh, so fascinating about that, number one, uh, Christian's by the way, uh, statism has been done mm. in the past. And so if you don't know what's happening in Canada, you have got to get out and read some history because she laid down the blueprint of what we are seeing before our very eyes. And still many uh, moral individuals are saying, no, not yet, not yet. The second thing, Joe, that, that's really interesting about what you read, it connects to these words like equity and harm. Well, show me how it's harmful. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't prove it right now. That's right. We'll be able to once we can scientifically observe it. Yeah, it, it, it is actually a false god. Science has become a false god. It's an idol. And there are 
you know, folks, we Christians need to stand again foolishly and faithfully on the word of God. It it is either God's word or the word of man experimenting. And that's literally what they want to do because you can actually say that in all sincerity. You can say, well, look, we're all a bunch of animals and we've all got to get along. So I'm going to herd people and I'm going to experiment on them in order to see if it has good outcomes. And so not only do these things literally happen, but the the perpetrators can do it authentically. That's the problem. Everyone's waiting for them to have a moral wake up for them to go, oh, what I'm doing is wrong. But they are in fact just living out their worldview of experimenting with scientific ideas. So the next scientific idea literally is, Will the world overpopulate and will the world come to a cataclysmic end because of overpopulation? Well, if you don't believe in God and you only believe that scientific um, solutions are going to Mm -hmm. solve the problem, then you're going to be willing to experiment with all types of actions towards humanity. And at that point, freedom is irrelevant. And uh, that's exactly the way Van Riesen put it in his Society of the Future when he says the kind of humanism that considers man as possessing an independent supremacy over reality will liquidate man's position at the very moment it tries to realize this absolute sovereignty by means of a totalitarian science. In other words, if man makes that claim for himself, he will start treating other human beings as, as a project for experimentation and therefore liquidate man's supposedly free sovereign position that's the inherent contradiction within totalitarianism and it's the inherent contradiction in bill c4 where in the name of saving people from harm they deny those people the basic freedom to talk to who they want to about their issues Mm -hmm. it's incredible Mm -hmm. and the fact that they don't care that those people are being denied that uh by force of law is is profoundly uh troubling And just quickly to wrap up, we've been throwing around words like totalitarianism, illegal, persecution, prison. And I just want to address this really quickly because there are a lot of Christians in Canada right now that are saying the nature of Bill C-4 is so broad, we haven't seen it adjudicated in the court. So it's concerning, but it's premature to call it illegal. Well, well, let me just read to you uh, a tweet from our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who tweeted this out the day the bill passed, January January 7th. As of today, it's official. Conversion therapy is banned in Canada. Our government's legislation has come into force, which means it is now illegal to promote, advertise, benefit from, or subject someone to this hateful and harmful practice. Doesn't get much more clear than that from our prime minister. No. And that's a form of uh, uh, religious teaching and preaching. And then that's a, that's a threat and a warning yeah. to anyone who would dare uh, uh, cross this, uh, challenge this ideology. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. And let's be reminded that uh, Jesus Christ is Lord Mm -hmm. and he's the ruler of the kings of the earth in 2022. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. his word and his law governs history, not man's. So we're in a time of judgment. Judgment begins at the house of God. But judgment ultimately is something to be welcomed because God, when he judges something, is sweeping it aside to replace it with something else. 
and we can uh, we can have confidence and hope in that as we rejoice in this new year and the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks for that encouraging word to wrap everything up, Joe. And thank you, Michael, for being here with us today. Yeah. Uh, how can our audience keep up with uh, with what you've been up to with the Liberty Coalition? Well, specifically, you can subscribe to our website um, so you get emails. You know, I I know that you guys here at the Ezra Institute value your subscribers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do as well. And and it's actually vitally important with all these new bills coming out. You want direct contact with those people you want to listen to because all of a sudden the Ezra Institute podcast might just disappear from social media. And you're going to be more difficult to find these Mm -hmm. things these days. That is exactly right. So you're going to want to be directly connected. So you can go to Liberty coalitioncanada.com um uh in order to subscribe to getting get our emails and then you know follow us on rumble on liberty coalition canada channel follow us on telegram liberty coalition canada breaking news follow us on uh, spotify and itunes uh, we have a our podcast is called liberty dispatch so mm-hmm. um and and we are indebted uh you know uh, the the ezra institute gets a lot of promo on our podcast mm-hmm. i drink out of all of the ezra institute coffee mugs that you guys have so amazingly produced and uh it's where all our coffee mugs have gone <laughs> literally every single week i take one just just until you guys all have none uh but but you know we appreciate uh, you, Joe, we appreciate all of you guys here at the Ezra Institute. Mm. It's a blessing to be serving beside you and, of course, to serve as an elder here and the, uh, as, a, as a fellow, as an elder, <laughs> I just, as the chairman of the board. You're um, blending spheres here, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and this has a, a very significant uh, effect on mm-hmm. the topics that I teach here at mm-hmm. the Ezra Institute. We're talking about the Great. family and we're talking about um, sexuality and, and all of those things that God has designed for our good. So Great. thanks you for having me. Yep. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for being with us today. And this has been the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. And we're reminding you as always that from him and through him and to him. And